hate crimes. Should someone receive a harsher sentence if they're convicted of an offence believed to be motivated by hate? What is hate? Can we define it? Which, if any, characteristics should be protected under hate crime laws? All that and more coming up. I'll be joined later on by our Scotland officer Nigel Kenny to talk about the situation there, and I'll also speak to sociologist Stuart Waiten, who has recently been vocal in his opposition to hate crime legislation. But first, let's take a look at the issue as a whole, because there seem to be growing calls for more and more things to be labelled hate speech. Many academics or public speakers are finding their free speech is not so free at all, being no-platformed or banned from university premises because their views do not match the views of a few vociferous protesters. Now, the Equality and Human Rights Commission has come up with some new guidance because it's trying to put a stop to this kind of thing. And while it has its flaws, it's a step in the right direction. It took inspiration from Charity Commission guidance, which said being controversial is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it said there is a long and successful history of trustees and their charities being in the forefront of social change and promoting ideas that, at the time, were unpopular or controversial. And of course, this is the kind of argument the CI has been making for more than a decade now. But it's not just universities where free speech is being undermined. Public institutions are increasingly using their powers to signal a new orthodoxy. Last month, a 74-year-old woman named Margaret Nelson was investigated by Suffolk Police over comments she made about transsexualism. Mrs Nelson regularly blogs and tweets about her opinions on a variety of subjects, but it was her strong assertions that biological sex cannot be changed which were deemed a problem. A police officer called her and asked her to take down her posts and to stop writing about such issues in case someone found them offensive. She refused, citing the importance of free speech, and eventually received an apology for her treatment. In a similar incident, Humberside police questioned a man about a hate incident when he disputed that men could change sex simply by saying so. An officer told him, we need to check your thinking, and said that although no crime had been committed, his behaviour would be recorded as a hate incident. These kinds of encounters can have a chilling effect on society, and some institutions are going even further. Last year, South Yorkshire Police urged people to put a stop to hate by reporting non-crime hate incidents, which could include offensive or insulting remarks. And the Scottish Government, alongside Police Scotland, launched its hashtag report hate campaign, featuring letters addressed to haters, bigots, transphobes and homophobes. The letters were signed Yours Scotland, indicating that the whole country is behind the campaign, and if you're not on board, you're not welcome in Scotland. Well, that brings us nicely round to the situation in Scotland. Nigel Kenny has been good enough to speak to me today about this issue. Nigel, thanks for speaking to us today. Good to be here. Well, to kick us off, why don't you tell us all what you've been up to over the past few weeks? Okay, well, I'm not long back from a tour of the whole of Scotland, and uh, we covered 11 different uh, events, holding um, breakfasts and lunches, and we spoke to 200 church leaders uh, in particular about the Scottish Government's public consultation on proposed new hate crimes. So the Offensive Behaviour at Football Act was repealed last April, but even before that had happened, the Scottish Government were already looking at how to change hate crime legislation, and they brought on board Lord Brackadale to look into it. Nigel, perhaps you can explain who Lord Brackadale is and what he was tasked with doing. 
Okay. Uh, well, his actual name is Alistair Campbell, uh, but not that Alistair Campbell. Uh, no, he was uh, a leading Scottish uh, lawyer in QC and uh, latterly a High Court judge. And he retired at the start of 2017 and uh, was given the task straight away uh, of um, basically conducting an independent review um, of hate crime legislation uh, to see whether it was fit for purpose for the 21st century. And uh, as part of his um, research and uh, preparation for his report, there was a public consultation uh, towards the end of 2017, uh, which we know that large numbers of our supporters responded to. And uh, then Lord Brackadale issued his findings uh, as a result of that independent review. Uh, he, did a, he submitted a report to the Scottish ministers in May last year. And, uh, and what did he recommend? Well, although he, he took on board uh, the concerns that folks had, but uh, he did feel on balance that uh, there ought to be um, some new hate crimes. So he's actually recommended a whole raft of new hate crimes at present. Uh, there are what are called um, aggravated offences. Uh, basically, that means that it's a... a, a, a breach of the peace or an assault or something like that, but there can be a tougher sentence to it. Uh, so he was uh, suggesting that age and sex be, be added as additional um, characteristics to be protected in law uh, under, under that sort of legislation uh, for um, hate crime. Uh, but really, our main concern was uh, for the, the new standalone uh, stirring up hatred crimes that he recommended and uh, he recommended them really for all nine protected characteristics uh, and including religion, um, homophobic hate crime and uh, transphobic hate crime. Many would say perhaps it's a good thing but what are the dangers of creating more and more protected characteristics and uh, how do we determine who should be protected and who shouldn't? Well, that's really the big question, isn't it? Um, where do you draw the line? Uh, because the more categories that are included, really the more that others will be marginalised. Um, the law, of course, should treat everyone equally, but to, to borrow a quote from George Orwell's Animal Farm, um, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. There is a bit of that to, uh, to these proposals. Um, so such legislation ends up favouring some people, but not others. Why are these things concerning for Christians? Well, looking at the big picture, um, obviously, uh, we every human being is equally made in God's image. And the Bible tells us that God is no respecter of persons. Uh, but these laws do make people, some people, more, you might say, quote, special, quote, than others. Uh, so that not everyone is going to be treated fairly and equally uh, before the law. And obviously that, that's going to produce all sorts of injustice. And that's something that displeases God, as we read, for example, in Isaiah 59. But there's also a really big concern that we have that historic Christian teaching on a range of subjects, for example, the uniqueness of Christ as the only way of salvation, our understanding of what marriage is, between one man and one woman, our understanding of what constitutes morality, what, what is right, what is wrong, uh, even our understanding of humanity itself as male and female uh, is very often at odds with current uh, popular thinking. So our disagreement with some people in relation to these matters is often viewed 
by them uh, and, and by the media as hatred. Another concern that we have really is that the threshold that Lord Brackadale is recommending, recommending rather, is much lower uh, than existing um, stirring up hatred crimes that have been in, uh, on the statute books in England and Wales uh, for some time. Now, the legislation there uh, it has a high threshold, which is good, um, that the behaviour has to be threatening, uh, it has to be intended to stir up hatred, so the courts have to prove that that intention was in the mind of the individual. And thirdly, there are robust free speech clauses. And as a result, Christians have really, by and large, not been caught. However, Lord Brackadale's recommendations um, have a much lower threshold. So he's saying not just threatening behaviour, but abusive behaviour, which is a lot harder to um, and a bit more subjective to define. Secondly, it's not just uh, behaviour that was intended to stir up hatred. He's adding that if it were likely to stir up hatred, so the intention of the individual is entirely irrelevant. Um, and thirdly, in relation to the free speech clauses, um, it's a bit of a, a moot point, a bit of an open question. Will our politicians be in favour of free speech clauses, uh, especially on some of the issues that I've, I've mentioned earlier. It really remains to be seen whether, whether they'll be keen to have free speech clauses included in any of these hate crimes, some of these hate crimes, um, as they, they get debated in the Parliament. Can you give us some examples of how ordinary Christians could be caught up by these new proposals? Okay, I mean, there's almost limitless examples. I mean, one of the first that comes to mind is uh, those who preach the gospel. And uh, the subject matter of the sermon is to do with the exclusive claims of Christ, that he is the only way of salvation. Uh, someone gets to hear that, and maybe um, a comment is made by the preacher, uh, the pastor, whoever's uh, preaching, uh, about some key verses like Acts 4.12, John 14.6, that, that speak of the fact that there is no other way to God except through Christ. And they make a comment saying that other religions will not get you to heaven. Uh, and someone hears that and thinks that's actually stirring up hatred against their religion. So there's one possibility. And obviously, um, any of us sharing our faith, um, these are objections that often come up. Um, and if that was done in any kind of public setting, then... Um, you know, that there could be uh, all sorts of difficulties there with the police getting in touch. Um, it's really um, a big concern for us that unless there are proper free speech clauses put in and the threshold is high in this legislation, uh, that uh, these kind of scenarios uh, could actually uh, happen very soon. Well, as you say, uh, a lot of Christians will be very concerned about these proposals, but there's still an opportunity to do something, isn't there, by responding to the government's consultation? That's right. Um, so we have until this Sunday, this coming Sunday at 5pm uh, to respond to the consultation and uh, listeners can find that. Uh, in particular, list, really listeners in Scotland, this would be uh, for principally. Uh, the, if you just Google consultation on Scottish hate crime legislation, so that's consultation on Scottish hate crime legislation, you'll find the website. Um, but we've also um, produced a, a briefing uh, folks can respond online, obviously, at that website. But if they would like help from the Christian Institute, then uh, please phone our head office, which is 0191-281-5664, uh, or you can email us at info at christian.org.uk. 
and staff will be able to uh, give listeners access to the guidance that we've put together to help them respond. And just in closing, I, I really would encourage as many people as possible to respond. Uh, if maybe you're um, on our mailing list already and haven't got round to responding, please do over the next few days. Uh, or if you're not and would like some help from us, please do uh, ask us for it because it's very, very important that as many people as possible um, let our politicians know that the freedom of speech concerns that we have as a result of these proposals are very, very serious indeed. And we really need to let our politicians know just how concerned Christians are on the subject. Nigel, thank you again for taking the time to speak to us today. Thanks very much. Time now to speak to Stuart Waiton, a sociologist and author who speaks out about the criminalisation and over-regulation of everyday life and one who opposes hate crime legislation as a whole. Stuart, we've just been speaking to Nigel about the government's consultation on hate crime legislation, and you've already made a submission to this consultation, published last week in The Herald. It's really quite critical, isn't it? Yes, I mean, I didn't really answer the... There's a number of questions in the consultation document um, which are very restrictive because the presumption exists that hate crime legislation is great and uh, we just need to sort of like um, organise it or improve it and so on. Um, So I simply wrote uh, a a piece suggesting that hate crime legislation in its totality should be abolished. I think hate crime and um, being uh, an advocate of the need for hate crime legislation is a new kind of moral crutch for politicians um, and the end result is often that you criminalise certain things, you criminalise often people's um, behaviour, which is not necessarily uh, criminal in and of itself. So that's that's the first concern I have. In terms of the how hate crime legislation works, I think it is a problem that we now have an offence that is committed by one person that doesn't involve what is seen as a hate element, which is problematic because the universal aspect of law starts to change. So rather than treating all criminal offences to everybody uh, as a bad thing and something that you would punish, you start to um, differentiate. You start to say, well, actually, because you have got these views about these people, um, then actually we're going to punish you more um, in that instance. So that's that's the first concern I have, is the undermining of the universality of law. Um, I think what you then do, you also get into a situation where we start to encourage um, the potential, especially amongst activists, perhaps less so amongst uh, people themselves, we encourage a sense of uh, victim identity. Uh, so there's a discussion about it we now call certain sections of society vulnerable groups, for example, which is a very caricatured idea that they are all vulnerable. It's rather patronising, um, but it is a caricature that seems to be acceptable and seen as good, um, which I don't think is legitimate. Because uh, And the reason that that's of relevance here is because one of the arguments in the hate crime legislation is that one of the reasons we need to punish more is because people from vulnerable groups who experience 
uh, hate crime are more traumatized by the experience. So that, that, there are a few concerns I have. There are uh, probably many more. A key point you've mentioned in your submission is that it's very difficult to define hate. And what you find is rather than talking about hate, people are really talking about prejudice. And that, that carries its own problems, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, uh, it's it's the fundamental problem. I mean, I mentioned in the article that it was actually Joseph Stalin's um, government in the Soviet Union that initially were promoting the idea that we should have this some kind of hate crime uh, legislation, uh, which they were using to put pressure on America to sort of highlight the racism in American society, but they were also doing it because they are a dictatorial authoritarian society who didn't believe in freedom of speech. And at the time, Western societies opposed that because they thought that freedom of speech was important and that people should be allowed to express their opinions um, and thoughts, even if you don't like them. And in many respects, hate crime legislation is really about people's thoughts. Yeah, so we don't like racism, we don't like sexism, we don't like homophobia, etc. Therefore, we'll try and make it into a crime. This is part of the, a wider issue. I'm just writing about it um, at the minute, about the, the increasing use of law um, in society. So this sort of exponential use of law to resolve problems. So instead of, as we may have done historically, think that you can challenge ideas with ideas, you have public campaigns, um, have events in society, write articles and so on and create campaigns around certain issues. We seem to have abandoned that idea uh, and just think, well, if we don't like things like racism, let's make it criminal. Um, and that is, so essentially we are moving very quickly in the direction of becoming overtly authoritarian when it comes to these sort of issues. I saw a video recently of a, a, a preacher in Glasgow um, and there were some young guys there trying to encouraging him to be homophobic, to say that he thought that gay people should go to hell and so on. And, and the guy was trying to resist because the police were there. Um, and in the end, uh, this preacher said, actually, you hate me, don't you? You hate me. And these young guys said, yes, we hate you because he's a Christian. We hate you. Um, and he says, well, that's the difference. I love you. You hate me. The police moved in and arrested the preacher <laughs> and took him away. Um, and that's that's the situation. Of course, he was he was held in prison, arrested, but uh, held held in the jail, but uh, uh, not charged uh, on, on that occasion. Um so there are various ways in which society is putting pressure on people to hold correct opinions as they're seen. Um, but this is just profoundly authoritarian. You have to, if you don't like someone's ideas, you have to have an argument with them and you have to try and uh, change the ideas that way. That is what a progressive, liberal, tolerant society would do. Stuart, thank you very much for speaking to us. And thank you to everyone who's taken the time to listen today. Goodbye.